You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. I welcome someone to this podcast who has played a significant role in my educational journey. When I considered what school I would attend, I went to Fuller Theological Seminary's website and I saw Hak Jun Lee's class, Theology and Ethics of Martin Luther King Jr. I knew that's where I needed to be. When I learned he was and is a King scholar, I knew if I pursued a PhD, he would be who I would want to study with, as I was taught years ago to choose which school I would attend based on the scholar I wanted to study under rather than focusing on the institution. He has served on Fuller Theological Seminary's faculty since 2011, and he, is, he was named Lewis B. Smead's Professor of Christian Ethics in 2015. His research focuses on covenant, public theology, global ethics, and Asian American theology and ethics. He has a wealth of knowledge and wisdom beyond scholarship on King. He pushes me and others to think more deeply as we engage matters of ethics and theology. And so I'm honored to speak with Dr. Hak Jun Lee today on intersections so that the listeners can learn from his insights and his wisdom. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for, for joining me at Intersections with Phil Allen Jr. Um, it's my honor always to sit and have conversations with you, but we get to do it with other people listening in and, and hearing uh, our conversation and, and gleaning from your wisdom and your insight. Um, I want to I dive right in. And, and uh, let, let's talk a little bit about um, Dr. King as we're honoring Dr. King this week or today. Um, I want people to, to hear and learn about the King that many people don't know um, because we've so sanitized and yeah. we've just taken clips of Dr. King. Yeah. But I think you can bring, I know you can bring so much more for people um, to learn about King. Um, what drew you to want to study Dr. King um, in the first place. Okay. First, thank you for inviting me. I truly feel honored, you know, to have this conversation with you. So what drew me to the study of King? As you can imagine, this is a question I keep receiving from, you know, people from all different kinds of works, obviously, me as a Asian American, right? First generation Korean, okay? How come I have come to study King as one of my major field of research and teaching? Yeah, obviously that, that, that's not something I have planned at all. That's not something I have even prayed about it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I have a deep respect for African-American spiritual tradition. But at the same time, you know, still, I cannot claim me as outsider, you know, I have, you know, any comprehensive knowledge of that tradition, because that tradition is inseparable from the struggle of African American, just just you know me as a Korean American, I have my own struggle, struggle of Korean people in Asian context, right? So there are overlaps, but also there are distinctiveness, historical distinctiveness. So I respect both overlap as well as a distinction, right? So what happened with me? Okay. Uh, Number one, uh, study of King was not my dissertation. So many, many of even my colleagues or students at Fuller, they, they think, oh, Dr. Lee did dissertation, PhD dissertation on uh, Dr. King. Yeah? So it's naturally they assume it, but no. Now, Dr. King was not, not my dissertation. But then how did it happen? After I finished my dissertation, and I was looking for role model after I got my first full-time teaching job. Right? Yes, it was the grace of God that I was able to teach 
Okay, the oldest seminary in North America, which is uh, New Brunswick Theological Seminary in New Jersey. So I was deeply honored, but at the same time, I, I wanted to sort of live out my vocation, not just professionally teaching, get the salary and, you know, living <laughs> middle-class life. No, I, I wanted to be faithful to my calling as much as I can, because before I'm a professor, I'm a Christian. And at the same time, uh, happened to be the first Christian in my entire clan, sort of, you know. So I, I have that sense of, you know, uh, deep sense of calling that I need to be faithful. So I have, I had been sincerely praying uh, to God, you know, to, to find the role model. Role model in the sense that Definitely not among whites, okay? So I have no intention to upset any white audience here, but I wanted role model who can close to me, who I can identify some extent, given my own social location as you know, person of color. Because there is, in America, there is a unique stress or even pain and suffering that, that people of color experience. No matter how high social position you carry, you have, there is a certain unspoken stress uh, even sometimes a weariness, right? Uh, fatigue you have to carry. And I believe that's true for President Obama as well, as a first black, you know, president. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, should have, he should be ex extraordinarily careful in his speeches, you know, uh, conversations. So I had been praying for, you know, role model for my own professional life, meaning I wanted to live out my vocation in the intersection of my intellect and piety. My pastoral responsibility as well as, you know, my own prophetic commitment, social justice. Right? So, especially as an ethics professor, I don't want I didn't want to simply I be confined to the academia, you understand? No, I want to just go out, you know, uh, preaching, uh, you know, uh, or engaging in activism. No, I want to have both heart and mind, right? And spirit and body, right? and the intellect and my piety together. Right? So I, I, I was praying sincerely then on, you know, one certain night, I, I, I had a very strange experience happen to me. That experience is still very, very vivid to my own memory. It's just something you never forget. Yeah. And, and also you may think of you know, how professor having that such a weird experience, you may say, no, but it was, a, I would say, supernatural experience, you know? Uh, so I have, what, three degrees in master's degrees. I have a PhD, so I know what's emotion, what's supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> I put it that way, right? Yeah. yeah. So let me briefly share. This is just my testimony. You know, I was first exposed to King as I served as a teaching assistant for Peter Paris. Peter Paris is one of the leading black social ethicists at Princeton Theological Seminary, right? Mm -hmm. So I was his TA. So even I was serving as a TA, I, I didn't have any inspiration that I have to teach, study, publish a book on Kim, right? But I, I enjoyed it. Huh? 
So one of the textbooks that Peter Patterson used in that class was the Testament of Hope. And there's a collection of essays and speeches, right? Yeah, so it's a very standard, you know, uh, book on King. So this is the copy. This is my personal copy. So one evening, somehow I pick up the copy of this book, and this book suddenly, I think about five or seven seconds around there, vibrated by itself in my hand. Mm. So it, it completely scared me and also uh, evoked the sense of awe. So both sense of fear as well as awe was arising in me. Huh? Yeah. And that moment I realized my prayers answered. And God is introducing mm. Martin Luther King as my role model. Wow. Let me, let me interject real, yeah. real quick because people don't understand those types of experiences. Some people yeah. do, but not many. Yeah. And I had a similar experience, not so much with the book. Mm -hmm. uh, but a similar divine experience where I felt like Dr. King was central to my calling as well. 2005, um, I was at a coffee shop. Okay. Um, I won't go into the details because I, I hold that dear. I think I've shared it with you. Um, I share it with maybe 10 people in my life. Um, but people don't understand that. And I want people who are listening to, to really be open to those types of ways that God will speak and push you into a calling, because I think that's one of the things that we're lacking. We're so cerebral mm -hmm. and trying to calculate what we're called to do rather than allowing God to to, to move us um, into that place. Um, so I appreciate you you sharing that. The that reason I'm sharing quickly, Phil, yeah. is in my life, I've never had such an experience. In my spiritual life, any, anything supernatural was very rare. God mostly worked through natural process mm -hmm. or speaking to deep my heart, you know, through the Holy Spirit, you understand? Mm -hmm. But I never had such a, you know, experience. So I don't want to trivialize any supernatural in that way. But yeah. when I look back, then why God used that means? Because it required supernatural action of God to persuade Korean American, <laughs> <laughs> persuade Korean American, yeah, yeah. okay, to dedicate to the teaching, researching of King. That's my reflection. So it it kind of. Mm, smaller micro version of Gideon's story. You understand? Yeah. yeah. Refusing. Not me, not me. No, if, if someone told me, you know, you, you do Dr. King for teaching research, I definitely would have rejected that, you know. But because that's undeniable, you know, completely clear. So I sort of willing to accept it. But with a sense of fear and anxiety, definitely, you know, why? You know, how are other people going to see me? <laughs> Whether I could be authentic King Scholar, you understand? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think you, you, you certainly pulled that off. Um, I know from sitting in your class, and it's one of the, the popular classes, most sought-after classes at Fuller, um, and I hear from the students all the time how much they love the class and your authenticity and your transparency and you know there's so much I could say you. You know, and when I when I introduced you I talked about when I looked on Fuller's website and I saw you, know, you taught this class ethics and theology of Martin Luther King Jr. I knew that's where I needed to study I knew I needed to go to Fuller and I needed to study study with you if I pursued a PhD and the reason why is because not just because I wanted to but because it was attached to this supernatural experience that I had mm -hmm. where I too was afraid I see. because of the weight of 
the the the, the study of King and and, yeah. and echoing King's words in this generation. Yeah. So I, I I totally resonate with what you're saying, and um, so first of all, just thank you so much for for your transparency and sharing that. Yeah. And, and also, so, I, I I share this this personal story again, not to trivialize it or claim any something because. There is no other way I can explain why I drawn to study of kin. There's no other way I can explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. How are King's words relevant today? Um, we, we're in a time, especially coming off the heels of riots, insurrection at the Capitol building. Um, and, and you can get into that a little yeah. bit as well. Uh, but but because you know he's been his words have been taken out of context, sanitized and used and appropriated for uh, specific agendas, usually to domesticate or uh, tone down the volume when people of color, African Americans are resisting some injustice. Yeah. We use Dr. King, you know, to tone it down. But they don't realize a lot of the things that Dr. King said were yeah. pretty uh -huh. raw and, yeah. and 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 tough. Yeah. And not always that much further away from at Mar from Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how are King's words relevant today, in, in your opinion? In what way can it be relevant? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think America today is heading toward the complete opposite of King. What happened at Capitol Hill is, is almost like a day and night. It's a day and night. It's a complete opposite of what King preached and King lived and King died for. So I have to, I have to tell you, I'm extremely saddened and also at the same time, I'm very worried about the future of America. As you know, the, the motto of King's civil rights movement, especially SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, was the, to save the soul of America. And I, I think the Joe Biden used the part of it, you know, yeah. he used the language of soul. I believe America is about to lose its soul. Lose its soul to violence, lose its soul to disinformation, misinformation, uh, alternative fact, that means lie. And also America is about to lose its soul to greed. So what we experience, the rise of suicide, opioid addiction, uh, and the rising depression, huh? all this is really telling the symptoms, the mm -hmm. deadly symptoms of the, the sickness of America's soul. I believe all, only religious symbols and languages can diagnose what is happening in America today. On the one hand, I am very pleased, at least, some Republican you know, leaders finally begin to speak out and having distance from Trump. Huh? But I believe we, we as a nation, many parts of it, we put the political interest above national interest, hmm? economic gain above the public good, huh? And also, many times, technological advance or convenience over human dignity. So all these directions we've been heading toward over last several decades is now finally come back, like a, you know, chicken come home and roost, right? Yes. It's now catching. It's now catching us. And I believe this is, is the beginning of culmination. The capital riots could be the only the beginning of the culmination. 
So if we don't collectively take action and say yes to yes, no to no, then America is extremely fragile, vulnerable. Yeah. Because we have a shorter history as a nation. We have so many unresolved issues as a nation, including the, you know, the racial issue, especially. Yeah. So I believe King is, is the is the inspiration. I would even say that King is the moral compass. King is the moral compass and conscience for our nation. That's good. Yeah, there are other many people, but I believe no one wrestled with the soul of America as King did with That's that true. magnitude and intensive intensive way in 13 years of his public ministry think about how much he achieved yeah yeah, yeah. so i i would say that king represent the best of african-american spiritual tradition as well as the best of american democratic you know the experimentation yeah. Wow. You, you said a whole lot there. Um, you talked about all these symptoms and, and so much is coming home to roost. And, and one for me, one of the things that I tried to accomplish with both my film and my book and, and when I do any presentations, I always try to do a historical kind of a quick survey to bring people to where we are today. Mm -hmm because we're so detached from our history. Yeah. And, and a lot of the symptoms you talk about, they didn't just start with Trump. Exactly. Now, it may have been exacerbated. He mm -hmm. may have drawn things out yeah. and yeah. emboldened yeah. some, mm -hmm. but this is long in the making. Yep, yep. When you think about, cause one of my favorite um, from that book, A Testament of Hope mm -hmm. that you mentioned, is um, a letter from Birmingham City Jail. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I really want to unpack that. I could do a whole dissertation <laughs> on, on that letter alone. I, I love it. Is there any particular speech or writing from King that you think is so relevant, is so classic, it's relevant today and needs to be revisited beyond I have a dream? Of course, everyone yeah. loves that. Yeah. Is there anything that uh, maybe a little known speech or something that sticks out to you that is most relevant right now, um, given what we've recently experienced or have been experiencing um, for quite a while? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe almost all of King's speeches and uh, writings are still relevant. So one of my students, not only one, but a number of my students, even after they finished my class, they still occasionally, whenever they are down, they need a certain encouragement, in other words, spiritual food to, to eat, to continue their, their struggles in doing ministry and doing the works of justice. They listen to King's speeches and sermons. You could, you know, testify that. How many times you and I, you know, others heard King's, for example, drum major instinct? Yeah. It's never boring. Every, whenever you hear, you hear totality of King in union with God in the Holy Spirit. Mm. So in other words, the best of king is now speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where I believe prophetic annunciation takes place. In other words, when we give all our heart and commitment to God, God takes that and God speaks through us. Eh? That's why Jesus' sermons were not like those of Pharisees, 
you know, scribes, because Jesus gave his whole being to God and to people. That, that's where the power authority, you know, came up. And I think King embodied that. King embodied how human spirit can be a medium of divine spirit in addressing the deepest pain and suffering of our human life, as well as evoking, drawing the noblest human aspiration for good beauty and justice. So in that sense, I invite the audience, especially time like ours, right? keep listening to King's sermons and speeches. Right? And one of them, I don't know whether there is a written you know, a record or tape is available. But I'd like to introduce that King's Sermon preached in 1958, uh, uh, 54, the rediscovering the lost values. I think that's where America is today. That's why I, you know, uh, identify that as a sermon. Uh, this America, I believe, lost the values. I think America lost our, our, our core identity. And no nation can be sustained without you know, certain values that they can commit and dedicate beyond their own self-interest. You understand? Yeah. yeah. Individuals to think about. We don't have any noble values or the you know, vision we can dedicate, what happened? We begin to corrupt. We disoriented. So that's why America is lost. From my perspective, America is about to be lost because of intoxication with money, power, you know, supremacy, huh? all sorts of things. So what do we do at this point to recover, to be restored? What needs to take place then? You said how we discover, rediscover? Yeah, what needs to take place okay. if we're headed down this trajectory? Okay. Yeah, I would say, again, as, as me, as King Scholar, go back to King. I believe King's value is rooted in the best of American democratic tradition, like Declaration of Independence, you know, Constitution. But as you know, Thomas Jefferson was slave owner, yeah. uh, George Washington was slave owner, and and the, those documents are you know wonderful in generic term, but they do not address issues that we are facing today. For example, you know, racism, police brutality, uh, and also economic inequality, etc. Right? But I believe King truly. Can truly stand on those traditions, but actually deeply engage in the issues of our time, including globalization, economic injustice. So for me, King is almost like the stone rejected by the builders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so that stone is the cornerstone. Yeah. Okay. So, so do as I'm listening to you, I wonder if this country's leadership has that capacity. I'm sure there's some individuals that do, but collectively, do they have the capacity to reimagine those um, declarations of independence, those ideals? Do they have the capacity to reimagine that? in today's society for today's issues mm -hmm. because everyone draws says they draw from the declaration of independence the constitution what yeah. have you but do they have the imagination to apply them in new ways that where we all not in a utilitarian kind of way where the what's the what uh every what's best for the most or what makes the most happy i'm not talking about that but where we all feel this sense of enfranchisement can they, do, do we have that type of leadership? 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I, I think without their, their leadership, I believe the, the future of America is very, very bleak. L look at how one president can wreak havoc on the entire nation. Think, think about Trump as a leader who had no vision, no moral value. That's consistent with declaration of independence or even constitution. Think, think about how much damage and harm one person can do only within four years. So I, that's why it's a wake up call. Capital, you know, riot is a wake up call from my perspective. Yeah. yeah. America gonna collapse within rather than invaded or defeated by without. Great empires do not perish. Yeah? by invasion of outside. No, mm. it is defeated by itself. Wow. So Arnold Toynbee said, you know, civilization die, die by suicide, not by murder. Let me say again, civilization die by suicide, not by murder. So Trump is our suicide brother. Leaders who bore it against Huh? Certification of, you know, the electoral college, that more than half of the Republican Party. No, I, I speak out in partisan way, but this is not partisan. I'm speaking moral way. Yeah. It, it's not acceptable. It, it is really, it, it's just suicidal. It's a suicide. Even three Republican, you know, congressmen allegedly, you know, show the the inside of Congress to the one of the, you know, uh, the stop the steel organizer. Uh, think, think about it. Can you can you imagine these things? So that's why we are at the inflection point as a nation. And I'm, I am glad to finally some business leaders are rising up, cutting ties. And uh, Twitter shut down the permanently suspended account, et cetera. That's necessary for our own survival. Yes. So going back to your question, yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I'll put it this way. America started with the revolution. Revolution for democracy and human rights away from British empire, right? Yeah. Uh, we lost that revolutionary spirit. We lost that revolutionary narrative. And now we become empire. And we, we, we killed the king who wanted, who was living out that revolutionary spirit in his own time. So think about it. The temple priest and elders who representing the tradition of Israel was killed the Messiah who yes. sent to them. That irony is being repeated today. Mm. So who is the true inheritor of this Republic? King or our, you know, uh, politicians uh, yeah. who waves by the popularity <laughs> and the uh, poll numbers. So I don't trust, not all, not all of them. And I, I do not trust all of the, you know, the political leaders. Uh, even highest education doesn't matter. Think about who is it? The, those two senators who lead that, you know, all this opposition. Cruz and Holly. Cruz and Holly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cruz and Holly, yeah. Think Cruz is had his he's a JD from Harvard, Holly mm -hmm. from the Yale Law School. Mm -hmm. The world is the top two law school, and they are doing insurrection. <laughs> huh? Huh? Inciting huh? Huh? mobs. So education itself does not bring 
renewal of the nation. Uh, that, that's why the moral compass is extremely important. In that sense, I, I'd like to introduce King a, as a true, true spokesperson and interpreter of revolutionary origin and spirit of America as, as a democratic experimentation. Mm-hmm. You know, the trajectory we're on, you said, you know, we're lost or we're, we're headed down the wrong path away from King. And I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing, and I think I've, I've heard you say this either in conversation or in class, the, necess- the need for the prophetic voice, not just cultural criticism, mm-hmm but the prophetic voice, one who's given themselves yeah, wholly yeah. to the Lord. Yeah. And so unless, without the prophetic voice, we will continue down this trajectory, and that's where the leadership will come from. Now, whether it's someone in our government that has that, that, that prophetic um, courage and compelled to speak, or it's the movements, mm-hmm. whether you, people agree with them or not, the, the Black Lives Matter movements, the, and the other movements that that are speaking to power, mm-hmm. uh, speaking back to power. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question on, on this leadership thing. Uh-huh. Um, someone, a, a white conservative evangelical pastor said on a panel publicly, where are the kings of this generation, the Martin Luther Kings of this generation? And many of us who heard that took offense mm-hmm. Because just because he doesn't recognize those prophetic voices mm-hmm. doesn't mean they don't exist. Exactly. So, which means he didn't really understand King, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. much less the voices of this generation. So, two-part question. I'm going to ask you that question. Um, where are the kings of this generation, the voices of this generation? It doesn't necessarily have to be a person. It could be a movement, what have you. But... What do you think, in your opinion, is the most misunderstood, um, how King is the most misunderstood today? And then you can come back to that second part, yeah. Yeah. the kings of this generation. Yeah. Yeah, I think, as you mentioned in the opening statement, we, we sanitized that I really, white, I would say that white power, especially white power, mm-hmm. sanitized the king so, so extensively to the extent it is not able to <laughs> identify it as a king. <laughs> so entire king's speeches and, you know, and also his radical prophetic organizations was just uh, reduced in one speech. I have a dream. Yeah. Because, uh, I have a dream is very aspirational. But it's not so truly radical or revolutionary or confrontational to the existing power, the status quo, right? Yeah. And number two, it, it in a sense, they use it to condone current ideology of American dream. Yeah. Yeah. So it means that that speech is used to sort of sanctify the fundamental structure system of this nation. Yeah. So message they they sending, meaning the power, white power sending through celebration of King's birthday in every January through that speech, huh, is yeah, we have only minor things to adjust. System itself <laughs> is is okay. Huh? And most of it, you know, black children you know, sitting around the same table with white children, <laughs> they could claim, oh, we already achieved it. Look at the middle class, you know, the black Americans, right? That's how they are co-opted legacy of a king turned into capitalist. They turned the king into capitalist. Huh? Mm. They turned the king into huh? Just another uh, middle-class American, 
No, King was a democratic socialist. Yeah. So that's why I, I believe both for you and me and many others. And also I think Cornell West is, did a really good job and many African-American pastors on the prophetic spirit is keep reviving this, this radical revolutionary side of King. Especially after Occupy Movement 2008, I really love King's campaign, final campaign, last campaign, the poor people's campaign was rediscovered. So that's just something we need to do. Right? Hmm. So that's my, you know, the first answer to your question. Second one is, I would say this to that pastor. I don't know the background, what's the reason why he, he asked that question. But I'll put it this way. You, you remember in the Jesus parable that the rich person, you know, didn't care about you know, the poor, so he always eat from his table. And, uh, you know, the Lazarus, they got the crumbs from the, uh, from the table. So both of them died and later, they found what rich person is in, in the, suffering in the fire, right? Yeah. So there's a conversation between the rich person and Abraham. Hmm? That huh? parable. And you know what that rich person said? Priests said that Moses huh? yeah. was summoned to my brother's family so that they may not come to this place. Yeah. What did Abraham say? If they don't listen to Moses and prophets, they will not listen to whoever got sent to them. Yeah. yeah I think it's an angel. Yeah, angel was. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah, we we definitely looking for, you know, a person who has a leadership, but at the same time, if we didn't listen to King, didn't respect his legacy. How would we respect someone exactly. <laughs> who continues King's legacy today? Exactly, that's a good point. Yeah, we're gonna reject, we're gonna persecute, we're gonna crucify him, you know, as well. We treat him as a, you know, terrorist, or, <laughs> you know, dangerous person. Yeah, you know, my, my spiritual dad reminded me once, he said, the people of God in the Old Testament always rejected the prophets. Generally, that the prophets' messages weren't received, you know. And we read those prophets, and we've actually uh, sanitized those uh, writings. We, we also sanitize the Jesus a lot. So I believe if Jesus walks into our, you know, churches, we, we're not going to be able to see uh, no. Identify. Yeah. No. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. You know, it brings me back to something you mentioned earlier uh, about the African-American spiritual tradition. Because, you know, with the rise in megachurch and diversity, um, you see a decline in, in most churches across the country, but especially in a lot of black churches, you see that decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lean on African-American tradition when it comes to music mm-hmm. or we, when we want that fiery guest preacher. Mm-hmm. But is there a role, is there a place, and this kind of brings me back to a paper I wrote for your class the last, last year about the black church being able to speak back into society um, from, its, from that African-American um, spiritual tradition. Um, what, in what ways can that happen? Is that one of the, is that part of the answer? Is going, if we're going to go back to King, then we go back to those black church traditions that shaped King. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is that possible in, in our context of pushing for diversity and, and, and the mega church model? Is that possible? Yeah, I I think so. If if churches are not doing it, 
then I believe many, many African Americans who influenced by or inspired by King and also W.B. Du Bois and Ella Baker, you know, uh, many others are doing in the civil society, grassroots level. So think about, you know, Stacey Abrams in, in Georgia, what she did. Mm -hmm. So when, if church is not doing their role, then God, in my view, going to use somebody else to do it. But I believe, from my perspective, I believe that the very existence of African American in this land, United States, itself is painful. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. From the beginning, 1619 to all the way now, 400 years, the African-American life in this land has been a pain itself. That's why I, I understand the sense of hopelessness and nihilism, you know, blues, only blues can uh, express and comfort. Yeah. I partly can empathize with it because the, my home country, Korea, was also invaded more than thousand times by the superpowers. Mm -hmm. Women are taken, uh, and men are taken for late, forced labor, etc. So the pain and the suffering is extremely deep, deep, deep in cultural DNA of Korean people. So partly I can you know empathize and understand that aspect, but I believe the very existence of African-American churches in this land is a blessing. African-Americans may not recognize as a blessing, but for rest of us, it is a blessing. Why? Because African-American churches being a light and salt for this nation. For, for your own dignity, for, for your own survival, you cannot but rely on God. Also, you cannot but be prophetic. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I think God, in a very paradoxical way, used the African Americans for the betterment of all rest of us. That's why racism in America was not able to be overcome without resistance of African American. I'm not saying it was only African Americans fought against. You understand? Yeah, no, yeah. There are others, Native Americans, Asian American, Latinx, all, but African Americans was a you know center of that fight still carrying that voice. Uh, so I believe Black Church discover what's their unique historical calling, not genetic calling, but unique historical calling in this land. As soon as Black Church is generalized their vocation calling, you know, saving soul, you understand? Sending missionary, <laughs> doing yeah. the good work. They gonna be detached from deep, deep, deep stream of prophetic tradition as well as God's calling. Because I believe every calling is very concrete and specific. Uh, but it doesn't have to be exclusive. Uh, so that's why King was best representative and embodiment of that that tradition and, and also let me let me ask can you identify any christian pastor who was able to interpret translate express the core vision and and the conviction of christianity 
with a, such a sense of novelty huh? and persuasiveness and passion. <laughs> no. So that's why I, I, I believe. That's why I, I often say that King is the gift of African American churches for United States as well as humanity. Yeah. We have these movements today, and I don't think people appreciate the pain that you talked about. Because what's driving these movements are not just individual events that we're responding to in the moment, but it's the history of pain that we carry in our bodies. That's why it is offensive when I listen today or in the last week or so, I listen often when those on the right, those evangelicals oftentimes will say, they'll compare what happened in the summer to what happened in the, in the Capitol. They'll compare the protests, they'll compare you know, things like that. And they don't understand the, the, the intergenerational trauma, the Han, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to borrow from a Korean term, yeah. that underlying bitterness, the abyss of pain mm -hmm. um, that fuels the movements today. Mm -hmm. It's not just these one-offs, George Floyd. It's bigger than George Floyd. Mm -hmm. That that ha what happened to him was a catalyst, but it's bigger than that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I want to say this while while we're on this subject, that was one of the first things you shared was your pain in MLK mm -hmm. four years ago, almost five years, four and a half years ago now. And that's what solidified for me, like in that class, that's what drew me. Of all the lectures, that was one of the things that stuck with me the most was when you shared the pain from your culture, from your country, your experience, and how it connects to my pain. I got this sense of solidarity and it confirmed even more so, this is where I need to be. Mm -hmm. That's what's lacking when we talk about these social movements. Mm -hmm. For my white brothers and sisters, many don't share, can't share mm -hmm. that pain. Mm -hmm. And they intellectualize this thing, mm -hmm. and it, and that's not that's not what we need. So when we talk about these social movements, and this is my last question, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't, you know, we center the civil rights movement around Dr. King, and you mentioned a few names, and you met uh, Ella Baker, uh, Ella Baker. Um, there were many more people, and people, especially especially women, behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. If it weren't for them, the movement is not successful, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. What can we learn mm -hmm. from the strategies, the coalition that was mm -hmm. central to Dr. King's um, plan or, or method? What can we learn from the civil rights movement that can help our movements today? It doesn't have to look exactly the same, but what can we learn that can help fuel our movements today so we can be more efficient and effective in 2021? Yeah. I'll put it this way. God is waiting. God is able, God is capable, but God is still working, but God does not show up to the public in, in the redeeming, visible way until mm. ordinary people are ready. Mm. That's my interpretation of Exodus, you know, story, mm -hmm. chapter three. So, when Moses was trying to, you know, take care of his brothers as, as a prince of Egypt, he was rejected. People were, were not ready. Huh? So God waited another 40 years for Moses to be work with God, companion with God, and also people are really receptive, whoever God said. Because God movement is a people's movement. It's not hero's movement. So King was representative. He was a wonderful, uh, competent, excellent leader of movement. So we, for the success of a movement, we need both 
wonderful leader and dedicated people. When we have those two elements, the movement can be successful. So we cannot reduce movement into one of those. Civil rights movement was not king. King was not civil rights movement. Mm. At the same time today, in my view, including Black Lives Movement or any movement will not be successful without dedicated leaders for the cause, the very cause of the movement. Because you need to organize people, you need to, you know, negotiate, or you need to speak out, but you need a leader. Eh? So how can church be, be an instrument for building such a movement. So that's my personal, you know, academic as well as uh, spiritual interest. How we can lay out the grassroots uh, uh, movement. So when God sends the leader that movement is ready, people are ready. So think about it, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott. The boycott continued 381 days. Have you yeah. ever seen any movement, <laughs> any boycott for 381 days? No. That broke the backbone of segregation, in my view. Yeah. Then what made it possible? I believe long waiting, but this is active waiting for God, but at the same time, constant, you know, exertion. So we, we have a major issues with not only police brutality or racism, but look, look at the economic inequality or ecological crisis we're facing as a humanity. So I believe to be a Christian, yeah, it, it, it is sometimes burdensome. Right? Well, I believe it, that's our calling. You know, we, we keep on encouraging each other and keep working together, but never lose our eyes you know, off the prize. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was the spirit of the civil rights movement. I think we need to go back civil rights movement, not just looking at one, two leaders, you know, who did what, who did more than the other. I, I think that comparison is not so relevant. I think King was not interested in that. You understand? But I, I think we need to look at the, the very Christian spirituality that led and undergirded and drove the movement. So my question is, is, is fear. Why didn't they give up for 381 days? Can it be replicable today? If we target one city or place where which is notorious for police brutality, you understand? Yeah. If local citizens and outside people demonstrate 381 days, no any institution can stand it. So my question, where does that resilience come from? Hmm? I believe that's just something we, we Christians need to wrestle with, rather than historical, history books say, who participated, who got the position of this leadership, right? Huh? Yeah. Oh. The spirit. Huh? Uh, why people are involved and why they willing to walk rather than riding a bus? Hmm? That's a question I believe we we need to ask myself, you know, ourselves, including myself. Huh? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. Institutional racism, I believe. Every institution founded by white has an institutional racism, right? But why it continues? 
because people do not resist or challenge. Many times we are divided or we are separated, you understand? Not divided in terms of antagonism, no. We divided from the beginning. We arranged it that way <laughs> for our own survival. Yeah, we yeah. first invited as a token for diversity. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we always stay there, you know, from white perspective as as a second, you know, class citizen. Uh, and we kept it that way, but when we challenge it, then we punish it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's like a segregation of bus. You ride the same bus, but you ride it as a second class. When you intrude their space, you get punished. Huh? I we need to ask. I, in a sense, I invite you know people of color. <laughs> Every institution founded by wise. <laughs> huh? yeah. If yeah. we truly live our king's spirit and civil life, then organize. <laughs> organize and stand up huh? and uh, target one specific practice is ongoing, uh, dehumanizing, huh? and continue to protest as king and the woman and people in Montgomery <laughs> protested for 381 days, meaning never compromise with that evil. Wow. I, I was going to ask if you have any final reflections for this, <laughs> for this <laughs> holiday. Well, I think that's it. I think unless you have more you want to share as a final reflection for this Celebrating. I put this way. I want to share this way. We had the capital riot incited by the, our outgoing president, and people are willing to die for him <laughs> and invaded capital. We need a militant movement of love that counter such a dedication. So in other words, we Christian pastors need to inspire good people, uh, militant movement of love, justice, and nonviolence, not violence, for justice on every institutional level. Mm. and local level. Without that, we're going to always going to pray for change. A change will never come yeah. <laughs> by itself. Yeah. So my last word is organize. Mm. <laughs> organize as the king organize himself and other people. That's good. That's good. That's good. Dr. Lee, I, I am so grateful for your time today. You took an hour out of your day. I know you're busy to sit with me in this audience and impart your, your, your life of wisdom, your experience, both personal and ministerial and professional. Um, you know I'm grateful for your push. You push me all the time. Um, and then you have that, you, you find the right timing to encourage me <laughs> because that imposter syndrome kicks in and I'm like, what am I doing here? But, um, you inspire me. Thank you. Yeah. You inspire me to allow my life to be a life of activism, whether it's in the classroom, behind the pulpit, social media, whatever I do to do it with a, an unsanitized love, a prophetic love. Uh, one that's not afraid, but one that doesn't seek to contribute to harming others, exacerbating that, but not afraid to speak the truth to cause change on some level. So if there's no one else, let me be the one and tell you, I know there's many others, but I'm one of them. You've inspired me and, and I'm grateful for your for who you are. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, I am deeply, deeply grateful to the unknown, nameless slave Christians who sacrificed their entire life only for forced labor, even without minimum support from any others. And I believe just like a fire refines the gold, the king's spirituality and ethics was a really that embodiment of that resilient, uh, unwavering human spirit that refused to compromise with the evil. So it was my greatest spiritual blessing to have King as my role model. And uh, this privilege being part of, you know, uh, observant and, uh, you know, a participant at this grand movement that African-Americans and King started for the renewal of humanity for the kingdom of God. So I am, I am deeply, deeply grateful for struggle of African-Americans in their love of God, in their love of justice. Thank you. Thank you. You can learn more from Dr. Lee by going to Amazon.com and ordering any of a number of books he's published, like The Great World House, Martin Luther King Jr. and Global Ethics, or We Will Get to the Promised Land, and lastly, God and Community Organizing. It is less than one month before my book, Open Wounds, is released on February 9th, but I invite you to pre-order your, your copy today. Once again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen and for parking with me at the intersections. <laughs>